Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, folks, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's show, we welcome special guests, Jared Kaplan, CEO of OpFi, and Kyle Sermonara, president of FG New America. OpFi, a leading financial technology platform that serves the everyday consumer, recently announced a merger with SPAC, FG New America Acquisition Corp, in a deal that valued the fintech company at $800 million. On the podcast, Jared and Kyle discuss the need that OpFi fills in the market and what sets it apart from traditional financial services companies, how OpFi utilizes artificial intelligence for its financial products, the thesis behind FG New America and why they chose OpFi as a merger partner, what sets OpFi apart from other fintechs in the market, and more. Point of disclosure, we are long FGNA shares in the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF. So with no further ado, here's our conversation with Jared of OpFi and Kyle of FG New America. We are live with Jared from OpFi and Kyle from FG New America. Really excited to get into things today. Both you guys are uh, in very interesting business lines, fintech, SPACs, all the good stuff. And you guys are currently merging the companies, bringing OpFi public in a big transaction, which we're going to get into the details later on the show. But prior to getting into that, we always like to give our listeners a sense of you know, your backgrounds, what you guys are all about, how you got into the businesses that you're currently in. So to kick things off, Jared, could you walk us through your background, career, and joining OpFi in 2015, and what exactly attracted you to that opportunity uh, within OpFi and how have things sort of evolved since then? Yeah, for sure. So first of all, thank you for having us on. It, it, it's nice to talk to you rather than read your Twitter feed every every morning as I start. So this is uh, this is good. We're moving up in the world. Yeah, glad you uh, enjoy so, it. Yeah, my, my um, so my career. I started Goldman. I was a, a an analyst in their tech, media, and telecom group out of out of uh, undergrad and uh, worked with some of the sexiest media and technology companies uh, before moving on to investing. I joined a private investment firm called Accretive. And it was unique in that we tried to start businesses from the ground up rather than investing in going concerns. We would have a sectoral analysis. We'd do a, a bunch of work. And uh, I like to say I focused on only the most boring industries there. But I recognized that those are sometimes ripe for the biggest the biggest opportunities of, of value creation. And, and I actually became an expert in workers' compensation, which I always joke was not my lifelong dream. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it culminated in the founding of a insurance technology business called Insurion, which was the first online insurance brokerage for freelance businesses. At the time, the only people online looking for a freelance uh, freelancers as related to insurance were, were lawyers looking to defend claimants for various insurance issues. So we started that business. Uh, I actually went and, and joined the CEO we hired as his uh, number two employee to build it out. And it was my first foray into operating. That's where I learned online acquisition and how you deliver exceptional profitability to balance sheet companies, how you build proprietary technology. Uh, we were the fastest growing insurance brokerage in property and casualty when the Schwartz family approached me. And 
It was a CEO gig. So I had to be the number two for four years and it was ready to be the number one. And I took the job because and it, it goes back to my investing roots, which was uh, we invested in ideas where we felt we could drive value creation for a customer uh, above and beyond their next best alternative. That was certainly the case for Insurion, but for OpFi and what the Schwartz family, our founders had stood up, it was clear. I mean, you had a marketplace here of 150 million consumers that lack savings. They have less than a thousand dollars of savings. Their uh, opportunities for credit access are, are essentially nil when they have poor credit scores, less than 625 scores. And the markets of last resort are really poor products, payday loans and auto title loans. So uh, using the OpFi platform as, uh, as, as a facilitator of credit access with much better products in the market for last resort, and then with the greater vision and what we're building out now, which is the digital financial services destination for what we call it the everyday consumer, was a huge enticing opportunity, best decision I ever made. And uh, it's been a heck of a lot of fun to get to this point. And we got a lot of work and a lot more fun in our future. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Thank you for that, Jared. I was actually driving past a a payday loan uh, store with my my father this past weekend and had made the comment that really looking forward to, to some changes within that industry. And so it'll be exciting to hear a little bit more about um, what what OpFi does and to, to address some of that within the industry. Um, but but first, before that, Kyle, can you uh, share a little bit about your background and kind of some of the founding principles uh, behind the FG New Acquisition platform that you've built? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks thanks again for having us on. As Jared mentioned, uh, you know, we, the FG New America team came together. Uh, I've been to... Um, I started my career back at T. R. Price uh, as an investor and uh, have spent most of my career investing in financial services companies and fintech companies, uh, have at this point invested in you know several hundred financial services companies, one of which was actually uh, Ameritrade. Uh, but um, you know, the span of my career invested across consumer finance, banks, brokers, uh, online brokers, exchanges, uh, credit cards, and all, all kinds of different types of financial services companies. You know, I started at T.R. Price. That's where I met uh, the chairman of our of our SPAC uh, back in 2001, Joe Moglia. Joe had just taken over as the CEO of TD Ameritrade uh, when it was called Ameritrade uh, back in 2001. And at the time, it was about a seven, eight hundred million dollar market cap company. Uh, I was a you know young and aspiring analyst at, at, a, at T. Rowe Price in the financial services sector, and uh, ultimately uh, we made a, a very large bet on Ameritrade, and we became their largest outside shareholder uh, at T. Rowe Price. And over the next few years, developed a really strong bond with him. Uh, he articulated a, a really interesting strategy of consolidating the online brokerage industry and using uh, the platform that they were building to really benefit from the scale of, uh, you know, combining these uh, platforms into one much larger thing, you know, company. And ultimately, um, you know, over the next 
19 years, he consolidated 11 of those online brokers and eventually sold the company to Charles Schwab in 2020 uh, for 20, you know, over $20 billion. So it was one of the, the great success stories of uh, my career. Um, but, you know, during that time, I, I spent uh, about six or seven years at T. Rowe Price, eventually left, uh, was recruited to go work for Steve Cohen, uh, who runs what's now called Point72 Asset Management. I worked for Steve for three or four years during the financial crisis, uh, actually sat next to him uh, for about two of those years uh, during the financial crisis and, you know, learned a tremendous amount about, um, you know, the, the capital markets and financial services from him. And then uh, eventually left and was the sector head of financial services for a tiger cub called Highside Capital that had spun out of Maverick, about a $5 billion tiger cub. And then in 2012, I founded FG with Joe Moglia. And uh, I, I was um, you know, at, at the point in my career where, where it was time to uh, start, our, start my own company and uh, went to Joe and told him about what we were doing and he wanted to be a part of it. Uh, since then, we've grown you know, significantly. We've invested in, in dozens of companies, and we uh, have uh, now done our first SPAC, FG New America. So, so prior to getting into this, uh, up by uh, and looking at the underlying business model, how things function, and the uh, SPAC deal, I wanted to touch on this FG New America SPAC platform that you've been building, Kyle. And is this exclusively fintech-focused? You're obviously a specialist in financial services? Are you looking to expand outside of fintech with respect to subsequent SPACs? Or what's your underlying thesis behind the SPAC platform? So, we ha- so we've, we're building a SPAC platform under FG Financial Group uh, that you know, trades on, their, on the NASDAQ under FGF. Uh, Larry Sweats is our, the CEO of our SPAC platform. He's also the CEO of FG New America Acquisition Corp. And, uh, you know, Larry has a, a, a long experience of being both an investor and uh, operator of, of SPACs. Uh, this is his third SPAC, but he's advised on a number of other SPACs and invested in, in hundreds of SPACs over the course of his career. And, you know, we came together and decided that we would have uh, uh, both uh, fintech-focused SPACs, so the, uh, the Joe Moglia-focused uh, uh, SPACs, the FG New America Acquisition, uh, FGNA, uh, you know, and potentially future ones in, uh, beyond that. And then uh, outside of that, we have what we call our partner specs. So you probably saw Aldel Financial, yep. uh, ticker ADF, uh, which was um, done with Rob Kaufman, who was one of the, the first uh, founders of, of Fortress. Uh, that IPO'd in April of 2021. And that is not exclusively focused on fintech. And we have a, a number of other people uh, similar to Rob, you know, with really strong backgrounds that would like to do partner specs with us where, you know, our team and uh, yeah, at FG Financial provides, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the sort of the operations and back office and a lot of the due diligence and, and other aspects of it, of the SPAC process, uh, given, you know, our knowledge of, of the SPAC process and let somebody like Rob Kaufman, uh, you know, sort of who, who doesn't have as much experience in SPACs go out and, and find the right deal for him and then uh, you know, benefit from the platform. So we're, we have partner SPACs, and then we also have uh, the fintech-focused SPACs in the FG New America platform. Right. So, Jared, when I was doing my research into Opfi, I noticed that 
one of the main kind of driving factors behind the business is the fact that nearly 60 million consumers lack access to mainstream financial products, which is just pretty shocking to me in 2021 when basically everyone has a high-tech mobile device. I was wondering, how does Opfi come along and fill this need for basically unbanked consumers? The, the, the crown jewel of the platform is the credit decisioning technology. Okay. And uh, it has been built with a very large data set. At this point, we have uh, over 7 billion data points in the credit decisioning algorithms. Uh, that encompasses over 15 million repayment events. We've facilitated over a million seven of loans. And uh, the idea is that uh, the traditional world uses FICO and mainstream credit scoring to determine someone's credit worthiness in, in for the majority of the country, and, and specifically this set, it's not a great indicator of creditworthiness. Mm. And alternative data can be very powerful to figuring out who's got both the ability and the willingness to repay, despite what their credit score may, may, may show. And so that is uh, what the, the platform has been built on. We power banks, so banks hire us to acquire, to underwrite, and to service this customer on their behalf. And it's all done with the alternative data. And, uh, and we also do something really cool in the beginning of the process, which is we actually try to go get them mainstream credit first. So someone applies and we'll ask him, hey, would you like us to go and do a diligent search on your behalf? Of course, the vast majority of people say yes. And then we will go to 20 what we call near prime platforms to uh, see if they've got an appetite for the product. And we're successful 1% of the time of giving the business away, right. uh, which is pathetic, but it just proves the point, which is, hey, there's a long way we've got to go. There's a massive space. There's a lot of consumers. It's not low-income consumers either, right? This is your median U.S. consumer. They're making 50 grand. They got a job. They got a bank account. They just, they just have a poor credit score. Right. And, uh, and, and we're here because of the macro landscape. You've got wages, which have been flat for decades and you've got even though inflation has increased wages here in the short term all of the major cost of living housing and health care and child care and, and uh, education have been um, increasing at a, at a, at a uh, faster pace and so um, you know people making median wages just can't uh, can't save and if your car breaks down or something unexpected medically happens to you and you can't get credit access you're in a really difficult situation and that's why I always tell people you know, don't, don't believe a word I say Go and see what the customers say, right? They tell the story better than I ever could. So if you go to Google or the Better Business Bureau or Lending Tree or Trustpilot and just read the reviews, you will understand the reality of this country, why these products are crucial, but they must be structured in the, in the right way. And, and, and when we talk about the platform that we're building, it's not just about the access part up front. It's critically important. People love us because they got laughed out of their bank and we said yes with our bank partners. But beyond that, once they've proven their their credit worthiness, it's, it's uh, it, it's, it's the right thing to do to graduate them back to more mainstream products. That's why we're launching the Opfi credit card here shortly. And then longer term, can we help them build savings and build wealth? And you know, having Joe on the team, not only can we defend against the spread offense a little bit better than we ever could before, given his football acumen, but his business leadership is tremendous. And, and clearly his, his understanding of investment platforms, I think, may uh, really help us down the line. Not tomorrow, not the next day. I mean, this is a longer, decade-long vision, but that's, that's what we're trying to do for this customer. Now, with respect to Opfi's business model, the lending platform, how do you guys generate revenue and profit? Are you taking the credit risk? Or are you basically just a loan sourcing platform for banks? So uh, after banks hire us to, uh, to, to do the acquisition, the underwriting, the servicing, after they originate the loan, uh, we will typically buy back 
uh, about 95% of the economics of that loan. And then we have made the decision to hold the vast majority of that on balance sheet to build the business rather than sell it to third parties, although there's quite a robust market to do so. Uh, the thought being there is uh, we wanted to maximize unit economics. You make about double the money by holding the economics versus selling it. These assets are relatively short-term in duration. They're four and a half months. And uh, and we really believe in what we're doing. And and whether you hold it or you sell it, it's the credit risk, which is important, right? Because if you sell it and the credit risk doesn't perform, people don't buy it anymore. So we're very comfortable with that model uh, historically with, um, uh, with the products. As we move into some of the longer duration products, uh, you know, we, we will look to sell some more of these to third parties, but uh, that's how we've generated the economics of the business. And it's allowed us to build it without equity. Right. So the Schwartz family put in 12 and a half million before we got there. But uh, since November, 2015, when I joined, we haven't raised a dollar of equity to build the platform. Uh, now, when we get out to the SPAC world and we're telling the story to institutional investors, we are like, who are you guys? We've never heard of you. And I'm like, well, sorry, we've been gap netting and profitable since 2015. And <laughs> we didn't play it and we don't need the money. It's like, it's counterintuitive. We thought we were geniuses. And the Schwartz family were terrific in, in, in Todd Schwartz, our founder, just like very supportive and like almost a Buffett-esque mentality to building a business, like grow it fast, but only grow it as fast as you can drive profit. And that's what, how you build a real sustainable business. So uh, we're, we're, we're enjoying the process of, of, of educating the, the, the institutional investor world on who we are and, and how we got here in, in what is typically thought of a capital intensive business. We've been able to make it incredibly efficient by building the delivery model with the banks the right way. And that's a funny notion that you mentioned, somewhat ironic in that the most high profile startups or, or new firms are the ones that raise the most amount of money. And it's the ones that are solidly profitable and not bringing how much money that they're raising at these astronomical valuations. Those are the ones flying under the radar. And the thing that I like about the business model is in terms of your underwriting, you're effectively eating your own cooking such that you would definitely have conviction in the technology and in the loans that you're making. So speaking of that technology, I noticed that you utilize quite a bit of AI, artificial intelligence, in the process. Would you mind describing how that works? Well, if you're fintech and you don't say AI, machine learning, blockchain, and crypto, like what are you these days? Right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, we, we, we are heavily involved in, in what I would I, I put our AI and machine learning against anyone. The idea is to, on the AI side, uh, automate what we can to make the process as frictionless for the customer as possible. So uh, when a customer wants to go straight through, the technology works in such a way where the banks can approve the right customers and customers can get through the process quite seamlessly. We have you know, gone from 0% uh, automation there to at the end of the first quarter, we publicly disclosed 40% of the approvals are automated. We'll get to 60% by the end of the year. And that's just continuously improving the technology to be able to do more of that you know, we haven't lost the ability to do business the old-fashioned way as well. I mean, the other thing I love to tell people about is we've got the phone number on the website. Like, find a fintech company that puts your phone number on the website. And for the the, the smaller percentage of people that want to reach out and touch the business, you know, the number one question we get on the phone is, are you a real business? And we pick it up in just 16 seconds, and we tell you what a great business we're building. So that, that adds to the, the customer service quality, the customer reviews. That makes it easier for others to go straight through because it builds trust and credibility. So that's a bit of our secret sauce. Uh, the machine learning side, uh, this is the idea that as the data set grows uh, from the decisioning technology, we're able to uh, expand the uh, approval box uh, upon the bank's uh, approval. We're able to ex expand that decisioning engine so that more customers can get access at same loss rates. Right? We're not looking 
to necessarily drive down loss rates. We are looking to uh, approve more people at the same loss rates, and that allows us to uh, to, to begin the journey, right, which is to, to, to get people access day one that is much better than there are other alternatives out there. So we're constantly looking at that. We're prudent about how the machine learning works. Uh, it's not done in a vacuum. I think the other part of our success is we've been really thoughtful about growth and making sure you know, the vintages, not one vintage is much larger than the other. You don't want to introduce a bunch of new variables that that, that can that can turn you upside down pretty quickly. So we're, we're very thoughtful about testing and then updating and it's a continuous process that um, you know, we've seen a lot of success early on. I think we approved uh, like 4% of the new applications. Today, the banks are approving 10% uh, of the new applications. So that means we still suck, but we got, mm. we got a lot better than we were early on and we got a lot, a lot uh, more room to improve in the future. So that's how uh, that works. And it is the, 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 the core lever of the, of the business that has made it successful. In terms of the opportunity set, the total addressable market, it appears that you found this huge niche, very profitable niche that you guys have certainly capitalized on. I was wondering what separates and what uh, sets Opfi apart from traditional lenders, banks, and why haven't they capitalized on this hole in the market? Well, banks, you know, I saw this in insurance too. The big insurance carriers, the big banks, they have become wedded to uh, the historical ways of, of thinking about risk, and, and it's really hard to, to change when you're that big. Um, in 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 in, the, in this world, in the OpFi world, uh, having confidence in alternative data to drive creditworthiness is is a challenge for a lot of the bigger banks, and right. and they're still relying on FICO. Uh, half of our customers are at the largest banks. Right, they're at they're at the top eight banks, fifty percent of the customers. But when they the car breaks down, they go to go to get a car repair loan. They're laughed out of the bank. I mean, they won't touch them. So. Right. That uh, that ability to understand which alternative data drives predictability has been has been critical to the model. I would say I, I also believe like whoever wins cost of acquisition here wins the space long term. In addition to the data set, so our acquisition model is is turned upside down from traditional platforms. Most people are relying on direct mail. Uh, Eighty percent of their business is direct mail, and and I actually wanted to shut off direct mail when I first joined. And the founder said, "Yeah, you, you may want to take a look at the numbers." And it works really well, but the mm. problem is anyone can mail the mailbox. So we lead with uh, search engine optimization and email marketing and customer referrals, and then we've built deep relationships with fifty plus marketing partners where we've got a, a proprietary API that's able to optimize business based on a number of variables, so that we don't waste their time and they don't waste our time. And we've built tremendous market share on those platforms uh, like like the lending trees and the credit karmas but also with with uh, near prime platforms that don't have an appetite for this business and other third-party sites that serve this customer and wanted a, a lending option so um, that's a big differentiator and then I would say the third piece uh, is this uh, and it's a bit more qualitative but it's quantitative in the reviews right these these outstanding 4.8 4.9 of five star reviews across the board uh, help us uh, drive the whole thing. Uh, we, you know, our office is in downtown Chicago. Uh, Pre-pandemic, we used to have a lot of pride. People would walk into the office. You've got like a hundred flat-screen TVs. We're tracking everything in real time. Uh, you know, and, and people will say, "Well, how do you, how do you kind of have this office in downtown Chicago? You've got like people that will answer the phones. You're saying you're high tech, and like for for us, it's not mutually exclusive. It's all of that, which allows you to to, to build a great place to work. You have happy employees. They deliver great customer service. Customers are happy. We do great reviews. That converts more customers that don't talk to anyone. And you know the whole the whole end-to-end um, uh, -end funnel there has has worked out very very well by building it that way. Now, from an investor's perspective, 
what are some of the risks that we should be aware of? You know, traditional with lending, there's credit risk, fraud risk. Uh, where's the downside here? Key risk of our business is regulatory. Right. In the, in, in, in the uh, niche of the space that we're in, we're, we're very aware of it. We spend a lot of time on it. Best way to de-risk regulatory risk is to diversify the products that we've recently launched here. We've got a product called Salary Tap, which looks uh, very similar to our, our legacy installment loan product. We call that product Op Loans, but the Salary Tap product is uh, an installment loan that's repaid through payroll deduction. Right. And there's a really cool payroll deduction technology that's that's getting um, developed uh, these days. And, and so we're first movers there. And, and, and it means a customer will agree to send us a portion of their direct deposit to repay the loan. So those products are much lower cost. So that helps. Uh, the OpFi card, we're, we're super excited about the OpFi card. That launches in the second half of this year. That's a, a, a will be considered mainstream. It's a mainstream credit card product. Uh, so that helps. And then uh, actually going public was a big part of thinking about how to go public and why to go public was the amplification of the story and the platform. Uh, we've got the data, right? We try to give the business away every single day and we, we, we can't do it. And that just shows the dearth of access, but the access has got to be connected to protection guardrails. Consumers need to be treated in the right way. And we have lots of thoughts about what legislation or regulation should look like in the space, but we think it should be in the form of access plus guardrails, not uh, supply constraints because supply constraints don't do anything about demand and uh, you have too many people that need access and without products like this you're left to markets last resort you're left to the tribal markets you're left to the under unregulated markets so uh, we spend a lot of time and energy meeting with members of congress regulators we're big fans of the cfpb's small dollar rule that's been hanging out there forever we think they should put that in place and i'm hopeful that when we get on earnings calls and talk about our social impact story talk about our success in graduating customers two more mainstream products, showing um, showing them that there's a real sustainable, positive way of doing this, I think we'll end up in a really great space. And we've got legislation called the Small Dollar Loan Act that we're starting to uh, uh, educate people on, which would look like the Credit Card Act for uh, credit cards, but for small dollar loans. And I think, like any industry, whether it's you know Uber or Airbnb or any of the great big industries that have developed, there's always this regulatory precipice that you're on. And, and we think we have the data, the story, and the customers to get to the right answer here. And, and uh, uh, if we're successful there, we're gonna build a massive, massive platform. Uh, and, and, and that's what we're set up to do. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies, and one easy-to-use, one-choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So when you look at improving your unit economics moving forward, when when looking at kind of the illustration of, of your unit economics, it, you have the largest largest cost is your net write-offs. And what you described earlier is that you're you're looking to target a loss rate. And so my my initial thinking was moving forward, you'd look to refine the credit decision-making algorithms to improve that that write-off portion but if you're targeting the write-off portion are, are to improve that are you really looking 
than to just find additional areas of revenue and, and cross-selling to improve that top line as opposed to just, just trying to slash costs on a, on, a, on a scalable basis? Yeah, our unit economics are incredibly strong today. That's what's driven uh, the, the, the cash flow and, and the ability to fund it with ourselves, right, with cash flow from operations and from, um, from debt capital. Uh, there are some leverage in the, in, in the cost of capital that we can drive down further. There's some uh, leverage across the, the servicing platform on the cost of acquisition. But we actually look at it like we want to extend lifetime value. Today, the customer's with us about 11 months on average. And if we're able to graduate them to the Opify card and the wraparound mobile banking and then ultimately investing and maybe get them their first mortgage, right, you've now built what SoFi has built for the Henrys. You've built it for the everyday consumer. And we're not looking to drive unit economics higher. I think, if anything, we're looking not to be greedy and to work with the banks to continue to make the products more and more affordable. Like, we've been very very successful the last couple of years. We got the banks to waive all the late fees, get rid of the NSF fees, start rewarding the borrowers who are refinancing. Like there's a lot, and there's a lot more we can do there as we get bigger and we get more scale. So um, I think when you look at our projections, we've kept the margins flat. Actually, they're down a little bit. And that's the combination of continually giving back to the customer and then graduating them to more mainstream, lower margin products. It's a, it's a big, big space. And, and uh, uh, that, that will bode very, very well for building the company we want to build for the next five, 10 years. And it makes sense if you have the customer acquisition into your ecosystem, then you know, it's only logical to develop that flywheel to offer additional financial products such that you have synergies. Especially between... if they love you, right? Yeah. If oh, they yeah. love you because you, you were, I mean, if this is a person who, who, who is who's frustrated, right? Yeah. They, they can't get access and, and they almost have the, the point of view of, oh my, you actually saw me for my true self. You ignored this 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 score that everyone tells me you know is such a bad thing, and, and that creates gratefulness and loyalty. And so, yeah, that's why we're very focused on building out the product suite because it is uh, it's reversed from you look at the neo banks, right? So the neo banks have led with user experience, they've led with early wage access, uh, they've led with you know, waiving overdraft fees, maybe maybe uh, uh, spotting you a couple hundred bucks. We've led with fifteen hundred dollar installment loans, right? And that is what is highly differentiated and unique. And so as an access play and then and then wrapping around these other more traditional banking services, I think we can build this digital financial services destination for this everyday consumer. And that's what's the exciting vision here. Yeah, and another thing that's super exciting is recently announced going public transaction, Upfi recently announcing a merger with FG New America acquisition, bringing the company public at a $900 million enterprise value. You mentioned the goal in going public, one of them being amplification of the story. What else are you seeking to accomplish as you transition from private co to public co? Uh, it, was, it was a long process to decide how to get public, if we should get public. Uh, we looked at a traditional offering. We, we saw a lot of spec interest as a fast-growing fintech company that was profitable. Uh, we ultimately made the decision to go this back route because of FG. Uh, we thought they were the right partner, uh, with Joe and, and, and Kyle and the team there. Uh, you know, they have deep backgrounds in public market investing, uh, have been very helpful through the process. We also thought the, the, the spec process gives you the opportunity to really talk, talk about the vision. I also thought it was gonna be the most expeditious route. I think what's unique about the spec process versus a traditional IPO is you announce it and it takes you, you know, six months to get it closed. Whereas right. a, a traditional IPO, you announce and you're on the road and two weeks later you've got the deal closed. So that, that was something I probably didn't anticipate. Um, and uh, it creates, creates a little bit of an overhang just um, going through that process. But it, it has been relatively seamless. I, I think, you know, we were pretty well set up. Our financials had been previously blessed with PCOB and, and, and some of the, the hardest uh, hills to climb as you're going public 
that doesn't mean we haven't had to build some infrastructure and, and beef with the teams to making sure that we have what we need to have to be a, a public company. But it, you know, I got a great team, like a fantastic, fantastic team, and and they're ready to go. And it, it will it will change the business going forward. Like, but it, it should be vastly for the better. And and, and having a, high, a, a, a a more amplified voice in a platform with a great partner like FG, we're excited to get this deal closed. Uh, and then put our heads down and go execute. Uh, that's what we did in the debt capital markets. The first debt facilities we had were quite, uh, uh, I should say, unoptimized, and yeah. people didn't know who we were. And then we just basically did everything we ever told our, our debt capital providers, and they've rewarded us in spades, and we have fantastic relationships there. And we're going to do the same thing on the equity side. It's always great to have both the private company that's going public along with the SPAC sponsor on the same podcast because we get to get you know feedback and insights from both sides of the table. Now, Jared, you mentioned what appealed to you uh, from with, res- with respect to FG New America. Now, Kyle, I'd like to know what stood out about Opfy and selecting the company as FG's merger partner. You know, we had a good idea of like what we were looking for, and we we found all of it in Opfy. You know, Opfy is is a very profitable company. It's rapidly growing. Uh, we found a company where we could uh, invest in it at a very reasonable valuation. So we think that the valuation is reasonable for as fast as it's growing. It's a profitable company. We think that there is an, like an, a very obvious to us, you know, clear pathway to multiple expansion. Uh, you know, so valuation expansion uh, with the development of the OpFi platform. So if this was just like let's go build op loans as a monoline lending business. Um, you know, we think that we paid a very reasonable valuation for it, but. It wouldn't have interested us as much as building the OpFi platform. So we think that as we build out the OpFi platform and diversify uh, into what we think will be a lending, saving, and investing platform uh, that'll look a lot more like SoFi over the next few years, we think that the valuation is going to look a lot different. Uh, we'll get significant multiple expansion uh, than if it was just a monoline lending business. Uh, we love the management team. We think very highly of Jared. We think he's going to be an incredible public company CEO. Uh, we think the team that he's built around him is great. We think our team's going to be, you know, if you look at the skill set of our team uh, and what they're trying to build, we think it's a perfect fit uh, you know, to build a lending, saving, and investing platform. I mean, I can't think of uh, you know someone that should have more credibility in building a platform like SoFi than Joe Mowgli, the guy that built TD Ameritrade over the last 20 years. And Kyle, as a, as a sponsor, what part of the SPAC process differed most uh, from your expectations going into this into this process, either positively or negatively. In terms of uh, maybe, could you clarify that question? Yeah. So basically, expectations as a sponsor starting in your when you're launching the SPAC, you know, you're not through the entire transaction yet. But was there anything that you found either very positive that was unexpected when, when looking at, at companies and whatnot as you pursued the transaction um, or, or on the other side, on the negative side, that was a little bit unexpected? Well, I think when we, you know, when we, when we um, you know, the SPAC market has evolved over the last few years. I think that um, SPAC sponsors like ourselves with, with someone like Joe Mugway, who has a tremendous amount of experience as an operator with with people like Larry and I who have great experience on the investing side. I think like we we make for very credible SPAC sponsors. Um, I think that a lot of uh, SPAC sponsors, and, and there's a lot of other great SPAC sponsors out there right now as well. 
I, I think that the spec uh, market has evolved, and uh, there's a there's just a lot of people that have have come into the spec market, which I think is great because it's really made it a viable uh, you know viable alternative to the IPO process. Uh, at the same time, I think that you know maybe the market got a little overheated, you know six to, six to nine months ago, and there was just a lot of a lot of uh, SPAC IPOs and and a lot of money flowing into it into you know some SPACs that maybe shouldn't have received capital. Uh, you know, as we went through the 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 process for for identifying a, uh, a target, I think that uh, you know one thing that we found uh, to be interesting was some of the valuations that. Some of the companies that did, uh, you know, announce targets, uh, we thought that they went for you know, higher valuations than we would have paid. I think we paid uh, a very reasonable valuation for Alpha. In fact, I think that, uh, you know, I'm surprised that uh, we think that the market will react very favorably to this, uh, you know, when the transaction closes. So uh, that's 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 probably, um, you know, been our, you know, biggest surprise is just how how much the market has developed. You know, how many people are in the market. And um, you know the quality of companies that are now pursuing a SPAC today versus uh, you know perhaps two years ago. Now to touch on the market reaction, uh, what the market thinks of the story. If you were to give a sixty-second elevator pitch to a bunch of investors on why they should pay attention to OpFi um, as an investment, you mentioned other high-profile you know fintech companies recently going public or that went public, SoFi, etc. Why should they pay attention to OpFi, and why do you think that you know the street should should notice it and be excited about it? Yeah, as I mentioned, I think you know you've got a, a very profitable, rapidly growing company trading at a very reasonable valuation that has historically been in a mono and mono line lending business that's evolving into more of an OpFi, uh, SoFi like um, you know diversified platform that I think is going to be you know lead to much higher multiple expansion over time. Uh, even uh, if you look at the comps, uh, the the publicly traded comps. That are relative to its existing business, I think that the valuation upside is is very significant. And then as we execute on, uh, you know, the transition to the uh, broader lending, saving, and investing platform uh, over the next few years, I think you're going to see dramatic, uh, dramatic um, multiple expansion. I think the management team here, you know, I've I've found that when you invest in great management teams, uh, you you often do well. I think Jared Jared has built a great team around him. I think he's a, he's going to make for a great public company CEO as I. As I already mentioned, and I think having our team behind them and Joe Moglia behind him is going to be, um, you know, very helpful to them as a public company. So, uh, you know, I, I see this as a really interesting public company, and I'm, you know, I'm really glad that we own a lot of stock, and I think we'll be involved in it for a long time. And to the extent that other investors want to get involved, currently trading under the symbol FGNA, and once the deal completes, new symbol will be OPFI for OpFi. So Jared and Kyle, I want to thank you for coming on the show today, provided some very key insights into the underlying business model of both OpFi, FG New America, and uh, you know key aspects of the growing public transaction, which is super interesting and great details for investors and potential investors to know about the story. So thank you for sharing and wish you guys the best of luck as you pursue this new opportunity. Thank you for having us on. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. 
The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.